0: Kevin here. This week, I'm catching up with a friend and former colleague, uh, Jacob Wilson, who's currently a senior consultant at Synopsys, where he specializes in all things embedded security and the maturity of uh, software security initiatives. He's leading the charge over there and helping uh, clients with their uh, open source supply chains too, which is uh, pretty important and has been uh, you know, a, a major focus for a lot of people recently. In the episode, Jacob and I talk about his unique journey into automotive and embedded applications, having grown up in Michigan, and his passion for computers at a young age, uh, bringing him into uh, the automotive space. So uh, yeah, I think it's a really good one. I think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, Let us know. Jacob, how's it going? Good, Kev. How are you? I'm doing real well. So... Uh, welcome to the podcast. You know, we're, we were doing these throwback episodes, uh, in our first season and they were all people that were like my age or slightly older. And, uh, I think it's time to kind of do <laughs> maybe a next generation thing. Yeah. So, uh, so w- you're the youngest person. I, I did the math. You're the youngest person that's been on the podcast, uh, by about <laughs> eight years is my guess. I don't know exactly how old you are,
1: but. Yeah, yeah. No. I, I I assumed that and actually I <laughs> there were a couple of the videos from the summer series I had to go back and watch because uh I missed them. They were kind of outside of my era. So yeah. I appreciated it. Well
0: well let's let's kind of dive into it and we won't ask I won't ask how
1: old you are but I will ask what your first computer was. Uh so guess the guess the time frame for the first computer. <laughs> Are, are we talking about
0: the the computer that was in your house that you first used? or are we talking about a computer that was like deemed your computer,
1: deemed my computer? That is an important distinction.
0: Okay, I'm gonna say that it's 2005.
1: You're off. am <laughs> so early or late. You're late. Uh, so I got into this really early. My first computer was actually a Toshiba Satellite 1605. Oh, so I don't know what the 1605
0: is, but I remember for a while those Toshiba satellites were like the go-to laptop. So that would kind of place this in like 96, 97, 98 maybe? 98,
1: exactly.
0: So then we're dealing with like a Pentium 2 Two hundred MMX because it's a laptop or two thirty three MMX because it's a laptop and you're not going to be able to to cash in on the same maybe a two sixty six is that
1: what yeah what it, it was like a like a P one thirty three I think with like thirty two megs of RAM yeah
0: oh okay so you got it in ninety eight but that would have been an older laptop right ninety eight gotcha right. and. Uh, and we'll, I'll, I assure you, we will talk about who you are a little bit and what you're doing, but this was a, a great, uh, great question. So that doesn't put you that far off of at least the first laptop. But I think you were probably, um, so what was, are you, is that running windows 98 millennium edition? Are you, are you
1: messing I'm pretty around sure it, it started with 95 and then upgraded to 98 while I had it, I think. Okay. Gotcha. um it was like right on the cusp of that definitely yeah. way before 98 se and millennium though
0: by the way like 95 is the thing that pushed me to being a full-time linux user i was a windows 3.1 dual boot guy nice. and then when windows 95 with the aerosmith song and all that stuff <laughs> yeah i was like start me up and i'm out <laughs> so um that officially deleted my uh my DOS file system around 19, late 94, getting ready for the windows 95. Boom. But it
1: took me a couple more years to do that.
0: (laughs) So let's, let's now catch up. Uh, You and I um, were our former colleagues and we got to collaborating. I guess, I guess you joined synopsis in 2018. No, like
1: late 2018 or. It was. Um, was it eighteen or nineteen? I I got you. Kind look. of blurs together. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But okay. So you you
0: were with Synopsis uh for a while, participating in the embedded practice, and we'll kind of go back and 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 kind of walk through your career a little bit more, but like that. But you and I got to collaborate on um some like program and maturity assessments and actually building some new offerings and, and kind of the maturity of supply chain and open, open source risk management and stuff. And my immediate pr- impression was, whoa, this guy gets, gets it. <laughs> we're, we're on this, on the terms of like frameworks and maturity, which isn't something that, you know, when, when I was, uh, you know, a, a few years or it's not something I, I, that clicked for me until relatively recently that we really have to drive, um, these things kind of progressively and, and, you know, imp- constantly improve our programs little by little in, in developing those maturity models. But, um, how did you come to that conclusion? And then we'll kind of back up and, and listen to your journey a little bit more.
1: Um, so, uh, I, I definitely followed a very technical path and I'll, I'll tell you about that when we cover the journey part. Cool. Um, but I think things changed drastically for me when I started and then finished my MBA. And I'm pretty sure that was in 2017. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I had a very technical path and then did a business degree. And I stuck out like a sore thumb. So much like the, the previous podcast with uh, you know going technical to lawyer, going technical to business. Um, I, I was, I was a unique, uh, person in that, in that business school.
0: (laughs) I think you're top fan because that the podcast you're referring to was an episode that was released two nights before, and there's been no post about it. So I think you might be one one of our, our, uh, our, our, you know, top five listeners. If you're, if you're that
1: caught up, uh, I just get push notifications for podcasts.
0: <laughs> wow! So half the time they're probably broken when you first. Uh, <laughs> depending on how good. I edit that RSS feed manually in in Emacs, so it's a little touchy by Wow, all the fields. <laughs> but, uh, uh, awesome. So, what was the technical journey? How did how did you get started? So, a uh, com- you know you you have this Toshiba satellite in '98. Were you just technically inclined as a or you kind of one of these, these computer prodigy kids that, that I hear about?
1: I, I wish. Um, I, I would say it's kind of a uh, combination of environment and mentorship, really. I can't really start my journey without talking about my mentor. I, um, the, the person who gave me that computer uh, was actually my godfather and a uh, very close personal friend and mentor of mine. Uh, and it was it was his previous laptop, right? So, like oh, you great. mentioned earlier, the specs were uh, off for 1998. They're a, li- a couple years older, but it was his previous laptop that he gave to me. Um, he had a, an electrical engineering background and moved into the, the IT sysadmin role. Um, like I said, electrical engineer, but very much a Windows guy. Very gotcha. very strong Windows guy. And, um, so handed me off this laptop and said, you know, you can use this, but it's, it's actually pretty nice for what it is. Uh, you know, be careful if I ever need it back, I need to bring it back. Uh, and then my actual first, uh, computer that was solely mine, right. That was pieced together from, uh, parts of computers past. Uh, that was, that was actually a P2 slot processor, like a 300 megahertz with Mm -hmm. 32 megabytes of RAM, same, same type of deal. Uh, and that's what actually introduced me to Linux because this was, uh, you know, cobbled together parts. Um, uh, you know,
0: so are you in in junior high when you get that laptop? Is that?
1: Oh no, this is. Laptop? I'm about nine years old at this point. Nine. Okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, I, I asked if you were a computer prodigy, and you said no. But you're <laughs> playing with these computers when you're when you're nine and ten. That seems to be tracking uh, for computer prodigy. So,
1: that uh, that computer actually, you know, at that point, Windows licensing was expensive. I didn't have Windows, uh, and that's that's when I first got exposure to Linux. Can you guess which Linux distro I was using at that point? Uh,
0: w- w- give me the year, and I'll tell you pretty clear. Ninety-eight. Okay, in ninety-eight, you're probably Red Hat, f- Red Hat four o, four one kind of thing.
1: Uh, Tusa. And uh oh, I guess yeah. yes it was like the package management back then. It was <laughs> like the very first GNOME interface. Yeah. It was it was a while ago.
0: Okay. Okay. I mean, yeah, a lot of us so the previous generation we all started on like Slackware and then went to Red Hat and totally avoided this uh <laughs> Linus, Linux craze that all you kids had with your Package managers. We had to use a third party thing called Auto RPM to try to update our packages. It was insane. (laughs) Um. So, okay, you're. I'm not even going to believe you at this point. You're running Linux as a as a child and and starting down this technical path. Where Where did it take you from there? What What was what were the next steps? What What was your first job in computers, or did you have a high school job with computers, or was it just going to, um. You went to Michigan Technological University. Yep,
1: um, Michigan but, Tech. Uh, yeah. So I guess kind of before we deviate from there, there's even more like uh, kind of weirdness. Um, so a lot of my friends at that point, like Game Boy Color was just released and that's mm-hmm. kind of what like the mainstream kids are doing. Um, and I, I actually pulled out, I have like some old stuff in, in a Tupperware, like in a storage closet. Uh, I I did not have a Game Boy growing up. What I had was a Rio PMP 300. And you can Google this in your free time if you want. Mm -hmm. This was actually the very first MP3 player. And um, I didn't buy it because it was the first MP3 player. I actually bought it when it was older uh, because it was expensive. Um, But it was an MP3 player with 32 megabytes of internal storage and a smart card slot. Uh huh. And it connected to the computer with a 25 pin LPT port. So it w- it wasn't even USB.
0: I, so I'm looking at this thing, and one, it looks vaguely familiar, but it's called Vintage. Like you can buy one and they say Vintage Rio Diamond <laughs> PMP player. That was an interesting. So I bet that used the same driver or a similar driver as the iOmega Zip Disk that we were using because somebody had hacked together that Linux um SCSI over parallel port. And that was what ZipDisk was using to, well, I guess ZipDisk was using SCSI over parallel port anyway, but there was a Linux driver in Windows. I bet you they kind of glommed on to that ecosystem there for that power, that parallel port interface.
1: Exactly. So, um you know, I'm at this point, I'm, you know, probably like 10, 11, 12, somewhere in that range. And, I'm already dealing with stuff because when you download MP3s, always from reputable sources, um, you now have thirty-two megabytes of storage. Uh I'm dealing with stuff like compression and file types, uh, you know, MP3s were there were a bunch of competing standards, variable bit rates came out, and I had to figure out how to convert to save space. And mm-hmm. of course that LPT port, right? There's transfer speeds, like all these things um were just kind of like everyday headaches back then (laughs) yeah so that's that's kind of when i first started and then um i got my first domain in 2001 uh, okay and i made a photo site blog uh started messing with html javascript uh flash a lot of flash uh for some reason i was early in the content creator phase and
0: uh, where where did you host this did you have a yeah, so my ISP connection at home that was stable enough to host on, or did you have a that, shell account somewhere?
1: The uh exactly um my my mentor had uh had a a web server and basically just spun me up with an account. Uh I only had FTP access back in those days.
0: Oh, because he's a Windows guy, that's all it ran. It was an oh, IAS right. web server, probably.
1: Yep. And then um from there I got into you know, MySpace hacking, uh, a and Messenger hacking. And that's, that's really where a lot of the, uh, the security techniques kind of came through. Gotcha. And it, was, it was really all just about, um, you know, making the classic hacking stuff, right? Making things do something they weren't intended to do and, and pranking my friends, right? Because at that <laughs> point, I'm like 12 or 13.
0: <laughs> Any good pranks to, uh, to recall for us?
1: Yeah, so um a, a lot of them. So <laughs> uh w- it, when mySpace first launched, uh, this is probably like 2003, 2004, um there's there's inline frames, right? They mm-hmm. allow inline frames. There's there's embedded flash, there's embedded javascript. Um and as they progress, they start to start to remove some of this stuff. So they, they remove inline frames. You can't break out of inline frames, so I can't use that anymore. Um, JavaScript, they kind of tighten the reins on that. ActionScript, they, they can't, right? They can't fix that. I, I would embed one pixel Swift files way before advertising agencies were doing it, um, redirect it, because I had, at that point, my own web server accessible to me. Um, yeah. Lots of that stuff.
0: Gotcha. So you were writing weird shockwave flash shell code, then loading it into your personal uh MySpace profile and getting your friends to render it. And what could you do with shockwave flash? Like socket opens or what sure. so- what, what was the trick what were the tricks that were running out of that
1: you could you could do redirects uh that was the biggest thing is you could redirect it and there was no same origin policy or anything like that you could you could so you're
0: sending them to weird sites and they don't know what's going on or
1: whatever's clever um (laughs) at, at that point um if you embed any content it would it would overlay the entire profile and in order to moderate the content they would have to load it so like it would load a list of comments, and if you embedded that Swift file, it would load before they could delete it. So I would manually have to turn it off on my server. There, there was no way for right whatever profile was on gotcha. to remove it.
0: Well, this is like so. I mean, like if you think a few years before this, I mean, quite a few years before this, me and my friends and I are, are running, you know, Linux hacks on each other and doing the thing, and it's actually like pretty interesting that a few years behind that like it's mirroring the industry right because a few years behind that we're dealing with web and browser security right Right. (laughs) like which is you know continuing all this stuff still exists continues to plague us today but especially the weaknesses in in the the um you know the browser and dom and space like i'm you know that's yeah. That's a constant source of pain for pretty much everybody in, in software security on, on the enterprise side of things. So it's it's just like a timing thing because, and we were all you know before application. I kind of explain it to some people like this is like software security wasn't a thing when I was like growing up because we all ran the same software Windows you know Linux or whatever. But you know we sendmail bug came out you follow it on bug track and you try to patch your sun mail before you got hacked with it, <laughs> you know, like that was, everybody had the same software. And then this proliferation of, you know, web apps and these complex ecosystems and dynamic rendering and all this, you know, this injection stuff. And especially like the next generation of that with, with you playing, playing with the, uh, you know the in browser security and being able to load these frames which is actually a very similar exploit if if people want to listen back to the Rob bridal throwback he he, he was making money out of out of double click doing a similar kind of you know sim- fake click through thing but that that's really cool And just timing wise and i always kind of wonder like how people get into security now because it's such a it's such a more like abstract thing to sit down at a computer for the first time today but it is kind of uh, we're we're kind of stepping through some of these phases with with uh, you being kind of uh, just a couple of years behind and and starting really your security play playground with the the browser and the the web app side
1: right yeah You're it's cool. uh it, it's probably uh Kind of crazy to to think where you're at while I'm doing all this stuff because you're at this point you're probably on the uh, the protection side trying to <laughs> close all these holes, right? Um, yeah, I yep. I so this is
0: like 2004, 2005. I'm I'm uh I'm running a architecture and security group. Um, doing a lot of network segmentation, a lot of um still application security. I mean, was a thing. Um. And you know, but wasn't as big for us as still the the infrastructure side of things and, and making sure that the the perimeter was was really locked down. And then you know, we're getting into basically at the same time, innovative folks like Foundstone and and the At stake Consulting groups. They're starting to tackle you know web application security in contracts. You know, well. While while you're shockwave flashing your friends, and I'm, you know, locking down borders at a at a fairly large, you know, kind of data center installation for for advertising company, yeah,
1: yeah. So I guess you know I, I could tell you kind of hacking stories forever, but it, it really starts to to grow into a career around the 2008 time frame. At that point, I become you know, like a network tech uh, mm-hmm. for local computer repair. Uh, I'm doing DC jack repairs, virus removal, that type of stuff. Typical, I guess, a, a predictable path. Um, and I go to Michigan Tech uh, and and follow that because I knew I wanted to get into networking and I probably didn't want to go down the programmer path, even though, uh, you know, I, I go in and out of that. Throughout my career, um, right,
0: so it, like you wanted kind of a more practical, or I mean, and you had you had all this knowledge that you wanted to apply towards probably your your academic thing. Which I don't know. I like I was a, I was in a very similar boat of like I did computer science for a little bit and then quickly pivoted as more of an adult learner at that point into um, network technology and particularly like yeah communications and things like that.
1: For some reason, there's always been like a few themes for like every every role that I excel at, and it's always like something to do on on the technical side. For example, it's always something to do with like data compression or normalization or the integration between systems with that data. Like it's Mm -hmm. it's always in that middle ground. Um, I I always like shift the role that I'm in into that, and there's always a need for it.
0: Right to like find an area that's somewhat ambiguous and then to drive clarity and kind of problem solve in that space. Is that kind of the key?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I go through my, my kind of formal system admin, uh, college courses. Um, I, I really put a lot of effort into labs. One of the things I did in college that, was was pretty fun. I had I had some Linux classes that the the lecture series actually was completely disjointed from the lab section, and <laughs> like half the labs were self guided. Like you you will have to do these things, like set up Apache servers and mm-hmm. connect to domains to do uh, you know LDAP authentication and stuff. Seems like
0: a lazy instructor. To
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then <laughs> the second half was totally like you have to do your own Linux stuff and. Uh, in in 2009, I was I I used Google Voice when it first launched to do two factor auth just using hash calculations and profile scripts, and then like a year later, Google Authenticator comes out. Um, but it was fun to do it. You're, let, that's know. interesting. You're making an
0: audio call, or you're using SMS. Using SMS. Okay, gotcha. So you're implementing on top of Google Voice's. SMS thing and ability to do a second factor auth,
1: okay. right? Very right. cool. Yep. Um, from there, I'm, you know, I'm using different SSH tunneling methods to to get past bandwidth restrictions, right? Because <laughs> at that time, bandwidth wasn't what it is today. Uh, is that
0: on on a campus? Is that just wh- yep. where?
1: Okay, yep. gotcha. Yep. And it's it's funny because. Because all these techniques that we use for, um, you know, cloud testing now, I was using that to get around bandwidth restrictions 10 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) I guess more than 10 years ago. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, we're we're trying to target the the younger generation, Jacob. So so you you got to hold on to to, you know, these are this is you're bringing a youthful energy to the podcast. Um awesome. So, what I, and we're doing a compressed version cuz I really want to get I think it's also fascinating of of kind of your career transitioning then into automotive and and embedded. So, is, would that be too far of a jump for us to dive into that next of? No, you know, yeah, we can, we can do yeah, that. Let's let, let's hop into that because I think it's, it's a, it's a really, I mean, so you have maybe your first job as in kind of network engineering and go into that, but you've got, when you get your degree and you're diving into getting your, your first kind of full-time job, what is that job and, and what are, what are you doing? Like, how does it, how does it tie to, yeah. Where, where do you go from there?
1: <laughs> so um, I, I basically have spent most of my professional career at Ford and I went to network engineering and uh, essentially, um, you know, bridged immediately to security. Um, I, I bridged into the security tool world from network engineering mm-hmm. uh, and then kind of went to more to the business side At at that point, after a couple rotations, um, you know, detection incident response teams, those functions are being stood up in a corporate environment. Most Fortune five hundred companies are getting those, Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm I'm excited to help uh, finally get into a team where I can form new capabilities. Right? Because network engineering definitely predates me. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I kind of grow up through the ranks of the incident response path, uh, kind of learning from a lot of people on the forensic side, a lot of people on the network engineering side, and, and really kind of hit my stride in threat intelligence. Uh, and that's, that's when I started the MBA, because I realized that security is kind of bigger than a single organization, bigger than a single tool. And uh, yeah, so I, I helped build the, the threat intel uh, capability there. And then 2015 happened, right? And in 2015, there's G Pack, um, and that's that's when I changed everything. Uh,
0: <laughs> well, before before we hit that, I gotta admit, like I know you've listened to a lot of the podcast episodes, and now I'm remembering that one that was like. Oh threat intelligence is kind of <laughs> kind of difficult to get right so <laughs> I'm a little self-conscious about uh whatever I might have said on that episode but
1: uh. it's it, it is difficult to get right and it's it, it's a it's a changing target mm-hmm. um especially when you look at like tooling and automation it, it comes down to people it comes down to you know data data sanitization normalization system integration being able to do that at scale, but realizing that uh, I, I used to have this this PowerPoint where you know threat intelligence is not threat feeds, not threat data. Apples can be turned into applesauce, but applesauce can't be turned into apples. Uh, and it, it resonated with the business people <laughs> as we as we automated everything, and they wanted to remove headcount. I, I kept fighting back to say, "No, nah, we we really got to invest uh, to keep this capability up and running."
0: Yeah, I, I mean that your MBA was an analogy, right? <laughs> Actually, the, it it is shocking how how powerful you know those those metaphors can be for for businesses in terms of yeah fr- framing things and, and driving the point home with with a well placed metaphor is uh, sometimes like really powerful.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I agree. So. so-
0: Go ahead, take it from there. We're we're at Ford and you've kind of pivoted your way into security.
1: Yeah, so I pivoted my way into security and I know that you know I I want to get involved in the product. And at this point I'm in a position where you know I'm going to conferences, I've got a little bit more control over my career. I'm not kind of looking to be guided. I'm looking for my own path and to set that. Mhm. Uh, at, and at this point, I, I attend the DEF CON where, uh, you know, the the GPACs disclosed and Chris and Charlie kind of go over hacking connected vehicle. And I, it's kind of an aha moment of I realize I'm in the perfect place at the perfect time uh, with, with a unique set of skills. And I switch over to product security basically immediately. I come home from DEF CON and I'm like, I'm going to hack cars now. Um, I didn't so I
0: I didn't know that you were going to bring that up and I'm I'm remembering back was it it was that the MP3 bl- player in the Jeep uh like they used a, like an MP3 file overflow or something like that right uh, and that was able to to touch the can bus or am I thinking of there was also research going on in you know that was a part of a, another university project so what do you remember anything about that original so famous g
1: the the famous g wasn't the mp3 vulnerability i know what you're referring to and there's there's some there's some overlap between the research and the researchers and mm-hmm. the organizations that um
0: yeah that might have been like a university of washington or something kind of at the same time or some somewhere around there but Go, yeah. So go ahead. Do you do you remember which one it was that that? They yeah. Remember? Yeah. So
1: this this was uh, an attack through uh, basically the the connectivity partners and the, the networks that created the connectivity.
0: Oh, uh, right, right. Gotcha.
1: And a lot of the concepts that are used in zero trust <laughs> were were missing from that environment, basically. Uh,
0: so it I, had like a, a GPRS modem or some type of cellular modem in the vehicle
1: that was um, being used for... You know, t- typical of older networks where once you got into a, a tunneled network, you were basically on a flat network with all the devices. Right. That was the situation.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Gotcha. So they they had a separate... A separate unit, or they tore tore a unit out of out of something else, and I don't know.
1: yeah, yeah. If you look into the whole talk, they they actually they try to go the film tell cell route. They they put in a bunch of effort, but they realize that actually, if you can just, uh, you know, it emulates uh, a, a network on or a device on that network with the uh, with the authentication credentials, you are basically on it, and you can. um, Interactive services. I think the, the service was disclosed um, and, and it was the, I believe it was like the ICQ port too. It was, it was like a really common port. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember what's public information. What's oh, okay. Not
0: well, in I, I won't, I won't press you on, on that because, uh, I, but the, and then the, it's also one of these things of like the architecture of the, the, can bus right the the network with inside of a computer that different computers within a car there are many now <laughs> are using to talk to each other was designed at a time where they didn't expect it to ever have modems on it right <laughs> or these network interfaces and these these backles. so as soon as the, it was one of these things of like not reinvoking also the threat model of it very you know very intense to say okay yeah it doesn't matter if this uh you know, this closed network that's driving around, if it's not connected to anything, we don't really have to think about the security architecture. You don't have to authenticate from the, the multimedia system into the, <laughs> the drive line to get the, or, or the, you know, the get project, the fuel economy or something like that. And then all of a sudden one day it was just like, Oh, but we're going to flip this on so that, you know, the, the car can phone home to provide maintenance schedule. Right. And like, I, it just wasn't ever, Completely reworked, (laughs) which I think is a very common story, uh, you know, in these situations with, we've seen paths like that in medical devices and automotive was, was a great example of that happening again, right?
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, so the, the original cam bus was created in mid eighties by, by Bosch and yeah, it, it didn't, it didn't take into consideration. Right it's TV. it's very similar
0: to like an i two c or something like that right it's just like whatever the design purpose for it was originally it yeah
1: gotcha yeah i mean even we as as security professionals we think of things like you know and in- integrity and authentication and stuff there's there's limited validation mechanisms there's limited authentication mechanisms everything had to be kind of uh created uh, with with a limited um bus supporting it behind it. So uh, a lot of newer cars use use different technologies. So it's it's slowly changing. Gotcha.
0: So that pack inspires you and you're already working within Ford, within security and kind of IT security or cybersecurity function. And you're able to pivot into the product side?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Basically, I, I pivot into the product side and Uh, There's a lot of attention in that space, right? There's a lot of attention from from the legal side, from the regulation side, and the business gives a lot of funding. And uh, it it was an exciting space. I don't want to say I'm the only car hacker. I definitely am far from that. There's, you know, I got to stand on the shoulders of giants. Uh, But I was definitely uh, an integral part at that point and uh, met a lot of really awesome people, a lot of very, unique offensive security researchers and mm-hmm. had some pretty great experiences. And yeah, career just kind of took off from there.
0: And, and at a certain point you're, I mean, this is still like, I mean, it's one of the most deeply technical things and it's it's on the, it's on, uh, you know, the today show. I think, I think Charlie was on the today show doing a demonstration of it or, or different, you know, like it got major media attention being in that. And then, you're also is it the same time that you're triggering hey i i you, you kind of want to go in a in a slightly or or build upon the technical background and learn about the business more so you pursue this MBA degree
1: yeah yeah um so the MBA is basically going on in tandem at this point um so i'm doing super technical stuff during the day and then super businessy stuff at night um and i I yeah just kind of find my way into interesting business situations because of that a lot of the uh legal personnel and uh business personnel need technical guidance
0: Gotcha and and coming through that um and getting that degree and actually then doing uh, uh, the next step or I uh, uh, what happened between the time that you're, you're doing this, this car hacking and then you come to be a part of, I guess, the embedded practice of synopsis with your automotive experience as well.
1: Yeah. So I I would say that uh, you know, that's, that's really just my desire to run at, at the fastest speed. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, it's a pretty similar environment between, um, you know, medical or automotive or manufacturing technologies. Those, those embedded technologies are very similar security tenants, very similar design elements and systems. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of it spans across. Um, Yeah.
0: I mean, the major variability between, I mean, even in like software security at large, right. Two mature software, two mature software security programs tend to look a lot alike, but, what is like the key in software security strategy or kind of maturity drivement is like, they probably got there through much different tailored paths because at any point in time, they probably needed to take a step forward in a different way. Right. And I think the same is true, you know, in between automotive and medical devices, right. Like there's both strong tenants towards safety um, in there, but, you know, it's like theory of constraints, DevOps style for for even these very non DevOps things. If you're not working on the thing that's most important in a given time and moving the bar on it from a security perspective, it's probably not that impactful, right? So it's it's more about prioritization, and and that is something I've I've learned very quickly from interacting with you that you can make sense. Like, again, it's one of these spaces of ambiguity, you know, driving through ambiguity. Is that just something that comes naturally? Is that something that you, you saw in on the MBA side of things or, or how are you able to make sense and figure out a plan where nobody else has a plan or a framework available? Or how do you, how do you start your way through um, kind of providing strategy in these new areas that people haven't done before?
1: Yeah, I. That's that's a difficult question actually because I I don't think there's uh, a single recipe for success. I don't think there's a single path. Uh, I think it's kind of the intersection of of business cases and operational scenarios and technical deficiencies. I, I wish it was uh, you know a, a recipe that we could sell in a cookbook somewhere, but <laughs> I don't know that it is. Uh, it's, it's being open to change. Uh, a lot of people in the embedded space, or at least the, um, like, I don't want to say manufacturing environment, environments where devices uh, sit in operational spaces for, you know, five, 10 plus years. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they have a hesitance towards change in, in architect- architecture and like the security tenants that they secure them with. And being open to that change, being tuned into just, just new security concepts, um, it, it helps because things that, you know, I used on that Rio PMP300 uh, MP3 player back in the day to compress data, uh, I still use that uh, when I'm uploading it to some logic controller that's on a very unique controller board, right? And sometimes I'll reach into a box that I've had this part for 15 years and use it again, right? I I keep network hubs around so I can uh, span collision domains.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Obviously, there's a a million miles deeper that that we could go on all of these things, but just a really cool story that I I, uh, thought it would be fun to capture and I was absolutely right. So um. definitely we're gonna we're gonna have you on again and and kind of dive into phase two and i think you've got a lot of sh- secrets to to share with us as we move forward so we'll we'll uh we'll get some of those down as soon as possible too so thanks jacob cool i appreciate
1: it awesome no knows my seat.